is graduating eighth grade, twelfth grade, uh, college. We have anybody graduating this year? Oh, here's one over here. Congratulations. Well, I haven't been here for a while. I know you probably didn't notice, but uh, are you going, oh, rats, he's back. Uh, I've been on sabbatical, and I've been on sabbatical for three months I, out at Christian Life Ministries, which is where I uh, primarily work. We're required to take a sabbatical for three months every seven years. And so uh, I've been out there for over 23 years now, so I don't do math so good. But, uh, but I just am coming off of that. And during that time, I also uh, took a leave of absence from the pulpit here. And uh, so that's why I, I haven't been here. The idea of a sabbatical is to really kind of take a look at where you are and um, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Are you doing it correctly? Are you, uh, it, you know, it, it's just a, a time to kind of clear away everything so that you have a, a chance to take an evaluation of, of your life and uh, kind of shrug off the burdens that you're carrying of other people that you might not be aware of and, and that kind of thing. And so it's good policy because it, it really worked. Uh, I'll share more about that in a little bit. Uh, did some interesting things while I was gone. Traveled around uh, a little bit, just a week here, a week there to, to see family. Uh, I went to Wisconsin to do a wedding for my, uh, my nephew, my oldest sister's son, and I showed up to do it. And to do the wedding, and I, she answered the door, and she said, so I see you're still sporting the Hamish look. <laughs> and uh, I said, do you want me to cut my hair? And she said, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, big sisters are always fun haters. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, that wasn't the biggest thing that happened on the sabbatical. Uh, but, you know, God had a, a, a verse, really, that I think would probably sum up my, my sabbatical. Uh, one that I spent a lot of time in and with, and it was kind of the target, I guess, for my sabbatical. And that's in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, primarily verses 1 and 2 today. But uh, if you have your Bibles with you, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Father, I pray that the words of my lips would be your words, that you would guide and direct me as I open up your word and as we make application, Father. We just ask that we would walk away uh, having heard from you, and we'll trust you for that. Amen. Paul's using a, a metaphor here in this passage, a metaphor of a race. It's uh, a metaphor for the Christian life. If you've been a Christian very long, you know that, uh, that it's, a, it's a constant. Uh, you know, there's no breaks. You're in the Christian life, and you are constantly under, uh, under pressure from the enemy and possibly scrutiny of others or whatever, but there's always a pressure, <coughs> excuse me, from the enemy. And so Paul's using in this passage here a race as a metaphor of the Christian life. And, and he starts off with therefore because this is a faith race. Okay? The therefore ties us back to chapter 11 where Paul had, or not Paul, we're not sure who wrote the writer or who the writer of Hebrews was, uh, but the author has just walked through in chapter 11 what we would refer to as possibly the Hall of Fame of Faith. Uh, he's talked about all those, not all those, but some of those who, who were models. They, they were asked to do very difficult things by God, and they trusted God, and by faith stepped out in obedience, and as a result, God followed through and did what he said he would do and did amazing things. And so we have this record of faith, and in, in verse 6 of chapter 11, we're told that, that without faith, it is impossible to please him. In other words, God isn't interested in what we do for him. He's interested in us believing him for what he wants to do. And are we willing participants? And so he starts off here after concluding this hall of fame of faith. He says, therefore, therefore, and he goes on to talk about this race because these guys had run it already. Their race was over. Now he's talking about our race. He's talking about our life here. But I want you to, you know, sometimes you may have heard a sermon on this before uh, or you may have this in your mind somehow. That when it says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, we tend to think that, that somebody's watching. Like there's all these guys that he mentioned as well as all these other uh, Christians that have, have passed on and they're now watching us. That's not what he's talking about there because that isn't what happens, okay? He, what he's referring to there, these people just like we're to be a witness of Christ to others, these people were a witness to us of faith, what faith looks like. And, and we're surrounded by people who are walking by faith, and he's using these people as an example. 
It's not that they're watching. It's that they have, they have demonstrated the faithfulness of God through the activity of their faith. But he goes on to this idea of a race. But I want you to recognize right from the get-go that when it says, let us, that us there is not the church. Okay, he's writing to believers there. He's actually writing to the Hebrew believers. But he's, the us is not a corporate, it's an individual. That word there is, uh, is the word from which we get our term, ego. Okay, it's ego, E-G-O in the, in the Greek. It means my, me, I. Okay, that's the word used there. So when he's saying let us, he's saying personalize this. This is, this is, uh, this is, this is not a mass moving forward. This is you moving forward in your own race. Okay, got that idea? That word race... I'm going to explain that first, that term race. The, the word that he uses there that's translated race, it, in other places it's, it's translated uh, a contest, fight, contention, as in a wrestling match or a boxing match, uh, never basketball. Uh, but it, it's a striving, it's a, it's a struggle, okay? And the word that's used there, it's agon, from which we get agony, okay? This is a race that produces agony. It's, it's, it's not a, a sprint, because he says we're to run it with endurance, a cheerful or, or hopeful endurance, patient, patient continuance. Uh, to remain under is what that word means. So it's an agonizing suffrage of sorts. Not that it's not fun, not that there's not pleasure. Uh, in fact, the word uh, endurance is, is cheerful or hopeful endurance. In other words, we're running because this is what we do. This is a, this is a race, and, and, and we're given an example in Christ of his race. Remember, he, his race, his lane that he was running in took him right to and through the cross where he despised the shame that he endured on the cross. Why? Because he knew where he was going. He knew what the prize was. And so for the joy of that, that was set before him of the prize, he ran the race. And, and this is the idea here. He's, he's saying, We're to ha- we have our own lane. We have our own race. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Some of you in here may be runners, and you run a long way. You should probably take a sabbatical and figure out why you do that. But... Uh, <laughs> But the idea, and those of you who do run a long way, you know, you can't just, you didn't just wake up one day like Forrest Gump and, and take off running. You got to build up. You got you to eat right. You got you to train your body right. You know, it's a, it's a long haul. I remember in uh, junior high, I 
decided to go out for track because that's just what you did. And uh, I'd never, you know, I, I always ran in different sports. I've never, I was never fast, never have been. I've always been faster than Steve. But I was never fast. But I didn't really know that uh, until I went out for track. And, and I ran the 100-yard hundred, the hundred dash. No problem. You know, pretty, pretty cool. I didn't do very well, but I was in the 400 later. Maybe I'd do better in that. And I remember running the 400, and I took off like it was the 100-yard dash. And I hadn't been... I, I've never really, except during wrestling when you had to train to get into shape, I hate running. Oh, you know, and, and so I didn't run to get in shape for track either. And so I took off on this 400-yard sprint, and I took off like it was the 100, and I hit what we know as the wall as I came around that last corner heading for the straightaway, all of a sudden, you know, my legs were rubber, my lungs were on fire. It, it was like, literally, I hit something. I've gone up to West Junior High to look to see where that invisible barrier is. Uh, but what, what had happened is I wasn't conditioned for that race. I wasn't ready for it. I, I wasn't trained properly for that race. And so that's the idea we have here of this, uh, of this race, this race that's set before us. And that's important to know. It's, it's a race set before us. And again, that us is personal. It's ego, how we would pronounce it, ego. It's your race. It's your lane, and you've got your own finish line. We're not running as a pack. We're running in the same direction, but we're not running as a pack. It's your race. But what's set before us is what we're to be fixed on. What's set before us is, is Christ Jesus, who, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, but he's also in the race with us. He's the guide. He's the compass. He's the direction setter. But he's also the, the power. He's also the wisdom of running the race. It's not we're running to him. We're running with him. But he's where we're running. We're running toward perfection. We're running toward the fullness of who, create, who he created us to be as individuals. And thus, thus it requires a race for each different person because we're individuals but that race is set before us and only then when we know again by faith believing in the promises of God eternal life the reward in heaven which we will return back to him because we'll realize it was all him to begin with but that reward is out there and we're to we're to know that it's there and we're to run to it but we're to be mindful of the presence of God each and every day in running this race only then will we stay in our lane and only then will we finish the course because in the middle there or at the the beginning of this thing it says there's things, encumbrances. That word encumbrance, interesting word. 
It's only used once in all of the New Testament. Uh, it means bulk, burden, mass, or weight. Okay? In other words, it's the stuff that slows you down. If you're going to be a if you're going to be a runner in a in the Olympics, you know, and and you're you're packing an extra 20 pounds, that's what this is referring to. If you're going to go out there and run and you've got sweat clothes on, that may have been great for training, but in the race you don't see people running with sweat clothes on. So you would remove those. You would remove everything that, that is a barrier to your running the, the, the smoothest race. Swimmers, they even shave all the hair off of their body so as there's no drag whatsoever. And that's what he's referring to here. It's, a, it's an encumbrance. It's a burden or a weight. Now to this specific group of people, he's referencing the law. These are Hebrew believers who, who were getting entangled with the, the thou shalts and thou shalt nots and the fulfillment of the, the, you know, all the, the ceremonies and all the different things that were prescribed prior to Christ. You know, and, and so they were getting tangled up with these things, burdened down by them. God had something to do, but they, they were sticking to this ritual over here. And it can mean that in, in, in our lives. If you expand that out to, to us, you know, it's, it's like busyness or good works. There's all kinds of stuff that Christians do. There's all kinds of stuff that, that a, a good Christian does. But you know what? We can, get tang we can get encumbered with these things if they're not ours to do them. If that isn't part of our, our race, if it's not part of our lane then we're, it's not ours. There's all kinds of, of things that the enemy would love to throw out there and say, oh, you ought to be involved in this, or you ought to do this, or you ought to teach that, or lead this, or do what. There's all that kind of stuff that looks like good stuff. Because there's a difference here. He divides it out. He says that, that we're to lay aside the encumbrances and the sin. They're two different things. The encumbrances are, is the excess, the, the add-ons, the cling-on type thing. Does that make sense? But it can also, it can be people, please. It can be, it can be things like shame. It can be things like guilt. It can be things like fear or anger. Stuff that you're packing that you got to unload because the, the Christian life isn't, isn't run in the direction of fear. You're running from something if you've got fear in your life. You're not running to something. If you've got anger, you've got, you're misdirected because your focus is over here. You keep looking at this person over here or those persons over there, and you're going to head out of your lane. So the idea is shedding this stuff, making sure... We're, in, in, we're fit to run. We're in good shape as far as having laid aside the encumbrances, the things that slow us and weight us down. But then he goes on and he says there's the, the sin that so easily entangles us. That word means skillfully entangles. It's skillfully surrounding 
besetting, thwarting in every direction, skillfully surrounding. The idea being, you know what, what messes you up, what your besetting sin is, what your flesh pattern is, is different than mine and different than your neighbor's. It's what you learned when you weren't walking with Christ, when you didn't know who Christ was. It's what you learned as far as how to satisfy your needs. It's that besetting sin. And we, we tend to think of a besetting sin as an action or, an a, or something that we do. Well, you know, it's kind of like, uh, oh, I came home... Uh, recently here, and, and I noticed uh, down on the playground over at Meadowbrook School, there were, there were a million dandelions. And I could spot them because they're yellow. And the rest of everything was green. And you know, you can, you can say, okay, you know, I can identify where they are, and we go and pick off all the heads, and you stand back and you look, and wow, there, look, now everything's green. But have you fixed the problem? Mm-mm. You just removed the evidence. There's a root. There's, there's, there's something that has taken hold. It produces this stuff. You know, we tend to think of a besetting sin as some activity or something that, 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 that pops up. But you know what? There's a root to it. There's a reason for it. And it always involves pride and pride being your version of how to take care of you better than God, other than God, despite God. That's what he's talking about here. What do, what do we have that's personal to us that entangles us, that t binds us, literally it, it binds us so that we can't move, we can't run. It hinders us. So that's what he's talking about here in this, in this passage. It's, again, personal. When I went on sabbatical, uh, God gave me this verse. And he reminded me of how Jesus came. He only lived 33 years, a little over 33 years, physically. He was alive before he came, and he was alive after he left. Oh, he's alive always. But for 33 years, he walked on this planet, and he showed us how to do it. And how he did it was he says, I don't do anything on my own initiative. Everything I do, I do by direction of my Father. The works that you see me do, they're not my works. I'm, it's my Father at work through me. The words that I speak, they're, I only repeat what my Father tells me. That was him doing what he did, the way he was designed and the way he created man to do it. And his life wasn't easy. His life was filled with difficulty. His life was filled with enemies. His life was filled with threats, disappointments. But why did he do it? Because he was looking through all that to where he was going, and where he was going was you and me. 
It says, for the joy set before him. It's that same joy where we're told in James to consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. It's not this happiness, oh, I'm, I'm so glad that I'm being persecuted. No, it's the joy knowing that this is part of the race. This is the, this is, you know, this is the bend in the track that's taking me where I'm going, and where I'm going, I'm happy about that. I'm excited about that. It's my purpose on this earth. And that's what the joy was. Jesus' purpose on this earth was you and me. Because he came to remove that barrier of sin that separated us. And he tore it down. He destroyed it. He ripped it when he said, it is finished. When he paid the debt that hung between you and me, or us and him. That's why he finished the race. That's why he came and entered the race in the first place. Is because he was looking at you. And he was looking at me. We're his prize. You realize that? We're his prize. It's why he did it. And he says we have a prize too. And our prize is him. But we got to be faithful to run the race. It's an endurance. It's a marathon. We're running as long as we're alive. It doesn't mean we're hurrying. It doesn't mean we're, we're clicking off, we're getting a bunch of stuff. It means we're always moving forward at the pace God has for us. If you read the scriptures, read the gospels, you'll notice Jesus didn't run anywhere. But he was always on time. Remember Mary and Martha didn't think he was. Their brother Lazarus, Lazarus was sick. And he was about ready to die. And they came and they told him, hurry, come. Three days later, he showed up. Lazarus, three days dead. But Jesus was right on time. So it's not the idea of I've got to hurry and get a bunch of stuff done because I only have a limited amount of time. No, if you're doing a bunch of stuff that isn't yours to do, you're wasting time. And you're going to get tired. And you're going to get burned out. You're going to get weary and you're going to get weak. And in your weakness, you're going to get vulnerable. That's what God and I had to talk about. While I stepped back, um, you know, if you'd asked me, do I need a sabbatical? I'd have said and maybe did to you. You know, I really don't think so, but it'll be good to have some time off how wrong I was. Uh, I needed a sabbatical. I needed to step back and take everything that was filling my life and remove it so that I could examine what was filling my life other than this, these responsibilities. And you know what? I, that was hard. To be honest with you, it was hard. Because what I found was uh, I was spiritually anemic. I knew I wasn't doing real good, but I didn't realize I was that anemic. By that I mean, when uh, I remember, I, I was asking God, you know, how did this happen? And, and uh, <laughs> God has a sense of humor, and he, he uses 
things in your life, and he uses things in my life to kind of as an example. And I thought of something my mother said when I was a, a kid. Uh, it was on a Thanksgiving day, and we had just eaten, and we, and it, you know how Thanksgiving is, uh, at least in our house, that meant there was all kinds of food that you didn't normally get uh, any other time of the year. And so I wanted to eat some of everything and did, and I was so bloated, so stuffed that if you'd have poked me with a pin, I probably would have exploded. But my mom says, how about dessert? <laughs> I said, Mom, I have no room left. And she said, well, you can at least have some ice cream because it melts and just fills in the cracks. <laughs> and God gave me that example. He showed me I was filling my life with a lot of things, and some of them good things, but they weren't my things. And what had happened with our relationship is I was starting to fill in the cracks. My time with God had eroded. I used to have this designated, untouchable time that I would spend with God for just me and Him. For Him to instruct me, for me to question Him, for me to search Him out and to talk to Him. And that got replaced gradually over time with early appointments. I'm a morning person. I get up early, and that's, and, and that's when I would always set my time with God. But then all of a sudden, I'm having early appointments in the morning, or I'm doing things late at night, so I'm tired in the morning, so I get up just in time to get rolling for, uh, you know, the day and, and whatnot. And uh, all of a sudden, I saw God begin to show me how this eroded and how I was just... You know, I'm, I'm in the Bible every day at my job, uh, every day. I'm, I'm dispensing God's Word to people who are at whatever stage of their life as a, as in, in discipleship. I'm helping them apply the Word of God to their life. I'm in there all the time studying for this next class I'm teaching or this next Bible study I'm leading or this next sermon I'm giving. But it was all for someone else. And I, it was at the expense. I, I wasn't spending time just me and him. And as a result, I started to get tired and weak and, and disillusioned or, you know, discernment. I didn't know what was mine and what wasn't. So all of a sudden, everything became mine. And that just crowded in more stuff. And then what happens to me, this may not be your case, but what happens to me is then that makes me, when I'm tired or I'm, or I'm not certain of what God's saying, it, it makes me want to start to shut down and, and, and back up and, and, and escape. Uh, and, and in escaping, medicate. You know, I mean, it, how this looks is, you know, if I'm, if I'm peopled out or if I'm, if I'm just kind of dispensing, dispensing, and, and I just want to zone out, what I, what I end up doing is, is maybe uh, not going over to my kids' house and spend time with the grandkids because, man, I'm, I just have, I've just seen people all day. I just want quiet. So I'm missing out on a blessing over here. But, but then I start medicating. In other words, medicating is, 
is finding things to focus on that, is, that, that takes you away from the stuff that's occupying your mind. And I realized as I began to ask God, how have I been, you know, what have I been filling, you know, uh, time with to, to avoid, you know, really uh, figuring this out? And, and all of a sudden I realized, man, I, I mean, I, I seriously have, have watched at times, you know, four hours of American Pickers. Uh, you know, Law and Order. You know, we have this great channel that has marathons of one show when you just sit there and, you know, uh, the only break is, is I've, I was even recording them so I wouldn't have to watch the commercials. But, you know, and I thought, that's not a part of my life. You know, it's not that these things are necessarily wrong. They just weren't a part of my life. And now they were. Where'd that come from? Well, it was me going mindless. So I wouldn't have to think about the things that maybe God wanted to talk about, or I wouldn't have to sort out what is what mine or what. And so I, it just got real confusing. And God began to show me how tired spiritually I was. Not physically, but spiritually tired. And, um, and I guess my lack of discernment. And I began to look at this verse. And he showed me some of these things like American Pickers, the, the things that, the encumbrances. You know, the things that weren't necessarily bad, but they're just not beneficial or they're not mine. He started to show me some of my encumbrances, and then he started to show me some of my sin. And you know, it's like I was saying, it's not the, the, the evidence by virtue of action. It's where does this come from? And God showed me something that I hadn't seen before. <laughs> You've all seen it in me, but I didn't, you know, I hadn't figured it out. You know, what God showed me was I have a flesh pattern, in other words, a way to generate um, acceptance or love that, that, that should be coming from God and should be supplied by God through those channels. But he started to show me that I have, from the time I was little, developed a way, several ways, to generate acceptance and approval and praise and and, you know, just uh, affirmation. And I'm, you know, I... How do I say it? That's my besetting sin. It's not what I do. That's part of it. It's why I do it. You know, the need to be affirmed or wanted or needed... And the way I figured it out, I was at that wedding. And <laughs> kind of a funny story, but it, we we're at the reception part, and the, everybody was dancing. My, there were 49 of us from our family at this one wedding. And I'm, out, I'm, I'm standing on a stage. It was in a barn, and everybody's dancing out here, my whole family, as well as some other people. But I started looking at our family, and... One of my brothers, as two members of my family are walking across the dance floor on their hands, um, 
my, one of my brothers said, when did they, when, uh, who called the circus? <laughs> and I started laughing, but at the same time, God said, you're all the same. And all of a sudden, I saw my flesh pattern of how and where I got it uh, generationally. All of a sudden, it clicked, you know, just how I do much of what, when I'm walking in my flesh, what I do is I seek approval or I try to um, prove myself to other people. And all of a sudden, I saw where it came from. And I thought, oh. You know, I've been trying to pluck off all the heads of how it shows up, but this was where it was coming from. And I said, Lord, what do I do? You know, I've, I got to get rid of this. And so I prayed and asked God, God, what do you have for me to do? And what, what is mine? I just, and here's what he gave me. First and foremost, I've got my time with God in the morning where it's supposed to be. For you, it may be different. For me, it's in the morning. And that time is now untouchable. Unless it's an emergency, that time is our time. And I've got to guard it. And I've got to spend time with my Creator, my Savior, or I, the rest of my day isn't going to go well. So that's in place. He's been moved from the dessert to the main meal, the bread of life and the fountain of living water. Then he added in my gifting, how that comes out. So that means working out at CLM, doing what I do as far as discipling people, helping people with the same, you know, passing on to them the stuff that I've, struggled with myself and God answered. Uh, that's what I do. Um, and my family and my friends, the relationships that God has blessed me with to help me, to correct me, to guide me, you know, to fill me, but also for me to be a part in giving to them. That, that had started to uh, to wane because I was too busy with other stuff. So God gave me those three things. And that was it for now. Because I've got to get things focused and get them built up and get where I'm capable of doing whatever God wants me to do when he wants me to do it. And for now, working on... Uh, some things in my own life means I won't be a part of the preaching team here at Rimrock. I'll be um, either extending that leave of absence or just resigning, basically resigning. Uh, next week will be my last, uh, my last sermon. It's been awesome. It's been eight years. It's been fun. Uh, but for now, it's just not part of what God has for me. And uh, so I want to be obedient to that. There's, um, there's 
sorrow in that for me, but by the same token, there, I, I see the wisdom of God in it for me. I'll be here for uh, when Steve, if Steve needs me. I, he knows I'm available at any time uh, to help that out. I don't know what God may do in the future, but for now, he's got me focused. He's got me centered. And he says, let's, let's just, let's just uh, recuperate, build up, and then we'll see if something changes. So, my challenge to you is this. Because this isn't just about me. This is about you, because you've got your own race. You're in your own lane. You've got your own finish line. How are you doing? What's tripping you up? What are you carrying that isn't yours? What are you carrying that needs to be shed? This is our life. There's a plaque, well, there's a, a bench at Meadowbrook Golf Course on uh, number nine hole. Yes, I did spend part of my sabbatical on the golf course. Um, you can meet God there. You really can. Um, but on number nine, there's a bench, and there's a saying by Ben Hogan. And it says, as you walk the fairways of life, smell the roses because you only get to play the course once. Or maybe it's you only get one round. But you know what? It's true. How are you doing? Are you in your lane? Because there's great joy in your lane. Because you can see what God's up to from your lane. But when you get out of your lane, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're in a, crowded, a cloud of dust and you can't see where you're going. How's your quiet time? How's your study time? I'm not here giving you a, a burden of law. I'm just telling you from experience, and you know this to be true. If you're not spending your time with your Savior, you're probably starting to get out of your lane. And the race gets really hard. Because you get tripped up, you get weighed down, but you can get right back in your lane. Because Jesus loves you. You're forgiven. Accept it. Your race is right now. Don't look back at where you wandered, how you got out of your lane, just what God shows you to deal with. But you know what? From this day forward, you can run in your lane. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you're so patient. Thank you that you love us so much that you are patient. Thank you, Father, that you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And I, I pray, Father, that we learn how to use it. I pray for each and every one of us in here that we would evaluate where we are, 
and that we, we would do what is necessary to remain where we are in our race with you. And we'll trust you for all of that because you're trustworthy. Amen. Amen. Would you guys stand? We're just going to sing the chorus to turn your eyes. Kind of a parting prayer here. Here we go. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.